the 11 Dubcast. I'm Johnny. He's George. We have a lot to get to this week. There is so there are so many things happening within the greater Ohio State world at large. We'll get into that. Ohio State football specifically. Um, and the Big Ten, we're getting into some funny stuff with Jim Harbaugh, which I always enjoy talking about. Before we do any of that, though, we do want to say, hey, shout out to Sammy Sasso. Uh, obviously terrible. The guy got shot. It's, it's just an awful thing that happened to him. Um, and basically, I just wanted to start off by saying all the best to him and his family. It's great news that he's going to make a full recovery. He's going to be able to wrestle again. Uh, that's just really comforting to hear. And uh, you know what? Any wrestler is going to be a tough dude. If you're a wrestler at Ohio State, you're going to be a next-level tough dude, and I'm sure he's going to come back and be great for Ohio State. If there's a silver lining, he was very determined to run over the rat. Um, That's right. That was you know, the reason that he stopped the car, and he, he did accomplish that. So I've now that he's on his way to making a recovery and wrestling again, I hope that as a, a, a point of pride, he can at least reflect on his his successful hunt before uh, tragedy befell him. <laughs> That's right. So, Sammy Sasso, congrats on your successful uh, tracking down of the rat. Uh, someone that lived out on 4th and 19th during college, that's something that uh, many a, an Ohio State student that has lived off campus, such as myself, can relate to that experience. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you yeah. also got to have that for yourself, and I wish you all the best, uh, as does the Dubcast, in your uh, medical recovery. Yeah, so we'll be excited to see how he you know, gets back in action and the rest of the wrestling team as we get uh, closer to that part of the uh, college sports season, but... We have other news going on as well. Uh, This one actually just broke um, really recently. Ohio State has finally appointed a new school president. So uh, you had Chris Johnson. She's gone. Uh, Now we've got Walter, quote unquote, Ted Carter Jr. as the school's 17th uh, president of the university. This guy, I didn't know anything about this dude. So uh, Ted Carter, Walter Carter, whatever you want to call this guy, um, He's from Nebraska, right? Really well liked over there. When they made the announcement, there was a lot of, you know, wailing and gnashing of teeth out there in Lincoln because this guy apparently is very well liked. And if you look at his resume, (laughs) yeah, that's right. Uh, This guy's uh, resume, his background is kind of unbelievable. Um, He was, he had an extensive naval career uh, going almost like 40 years. He was a vice admiral. Uh, over 6,000 hours in fighter aircraft, uh, flew on 125 combat missions in Bosnia, Kuwait, Kosovo, Iraq, and Afghanistan. That's wild. Um, and at University of Nebraska, the thing is, that's a huge system. It's not just Lincoln. It's it's pretty much all of those campuses, all four of those campuses, so almost 70,000 students. Um, I think that's a pretty good fit for Ohio State. What's interesting is when we've looked at previous presidents, so like Johnson and, and um, uh, you know, basically even going all the way back, uh, you know, to like the early 2000s, right, where you're talking about guys who are coming in, people who are coming in um, and really bumping up the medical center. I think that's one of the things that we kind of took a look at, like, you know, who is who is coming in for what purpose? I feel like Carter's coming in. um Maybe to handle, I think, the expansion of Ohio State, not just as a academic entity, but just as a media entity, as a cultural entity. Like, th- this is a very large job. It's evolved into something really huge. 
And so I think this is a guy who, with his background, he was in the Top Gun program, uh, call sign slap shot. Uh, I just feel like with his background, he's really well suited to um, manage a really huge enterprise like this. I've never been so excited to hear the name President Carter in my entire life. <laughs> oh, I'm only 29, so you know I didn't exactly live through that. Uh, era, but you know, that's a shame, Jimmy, Jimmy, Jimmy Carter. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think this is cool. I think this is a really cool hire. I, you know, I again for all the love that he was getting at Lincoln, uh, the fact that he's got this unbelievable background. I think Ohio State. Uh, students i think ohio state uh faculty staff i think that's somebody that they're going to be able to um you know get to know really quickly and, and it sounds like a guy who's going to take the reins really like and run with it as we can attest to with enjoying watching scott frost fumble his way out of lincoln a- anything that frustrates nebraska fans can should be viewed as immensely enjoyable for ohio state and so the yeah. the the uproar that you're referring to in terms of this poaching of presidents that's that seems to be happening is uh, is quite good. I I wasn't necessarily thrilled with the initial list of candidates, um, which is why I'm glad that they went a little bit out of their way to get someone that they knew would make a pretty strong impression with uh, the the strong parts of the university, as you're alluding to, and a. I don't want to say an authoritarian, but at least a, 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 a figure that has been in respectable leadership positions previously coming into, as you said, a system that demands that kind of leader, uh, I think mm-hmm. is going to be something that is successful for Ohio State, both in the short and long term. And uh, Nebraska, for as much as we enjoy uh talking down at them i i don't necessarily think that uh their transition into the big 10 over the last decade has been a, a not fruitful one or one that uh has been something of a failure i think they've you know made themselves as much as the big 10 west seems to be a, a dumpster fire perennially uh they are one of the the somewhat regular names in terms of contention in that half of the conference, I think. So that that speaks to you know the brand that they've kind of fostered at that school uh, that has been helped not only by the athletic department but by the leadership that goes further up than that to the president. And so mm-hmm. I think you can feel good about a president that has supported that environment moving over to Ohio State. And being a little bit more familiar with supporting that than perhaps some of the uh, predecessors that had occupied this position since Gordon Gee uh, may have been yeah. comfortable. Yeah, I mean, because that's the thing. You look at, like, Drake and Johnson. and, and uh, Drizzy, yeah, as I, mean, I refer to him on this show. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's his, that's his that's President his, uh, Drizzy. Name. That's right. President Drizzy. I, the thing is, like, in Christina Johnson, I mean, all these guys, I mean, Christina Johnson, patents to her name, obviously a huge extensive record, uh, you know, as, you know, in, in her field. And then, you know, even as an athlete, the thing is, is that I just think that the president, when they're hired by university, kind of reflects the values that the university has and then also kind of what their goals are, right? What, what are they really trying to do? When you bring in, like, E. Gordon Gee, for example, after Karen Holbrook, um, you, you're trying to... I think you're blatantly trying to 
bump up like uh, donations, involvement, all that kind of stuff. You want to get the big donors to come in, be able to drop some cash so you can build all kinds of things, including like, you know, the medical center and all that. That's that's what Guy is there to do. That's what he was great at doing. Um, that's why he was hired again after the 90s. Karen Holbrook, I think, was brought in because she was supposed to be a setting force and like concentrate more on like academics and things like that. And that's fine. Like whatever your feelings are of Drake or Holbrook or Johnson, whoever, they had goals. That's why they were hired to enact those certain goals. And I'm just curious to see, you know, what Carter's, um, you know, what his goals are, what exactly he's going for. And he gave like an introductory speech and talking about what he's going to do for Ohio State and whatnot. Um, but I think that's going to be a really fascinating uh, tenure and, and, you know, what Ohio State looks like in the future going forward at it, you know, with him at the helm. Um, I think so women's cool. hockey should be stoked. That's right. <laughs> I agree. Um, okay, so moving on to football stuff, we got a lot of things to kind of break down here. And I want to start with uh, Ohio State naming three captains. Apparently the vote, the reason why there's only three, in the past there's been more captains than this, but apparently the vote was just so overwhelmingly for these three dudes that it wouldn't have made sense to add a fourth because it was pretty clear that the team wants Cade Stover, Xavier Johnson, and, of course, Tommy Eichenberg, to be those, you know, leadership, be in those leadership roles. And I'm not surprised by that. I, especially when it comes to a guy like Cade Stover or Xavier Johnson, or even, you know, Tommy Eichenberg, Tommy Eichenberg is seen as like a quiet guy. But when, you know, we were asking, you know, the, we being the media, when people were asking, uh, you know, Ohio state players who they would want to walk down a dark alley with, right. It was like unanimous. It's Tommy Eichenberg. So the respect that these guys all kind of command on the team, um, I think made it pretty obvious that they were going to be uh, at least in the the conversation for captaincy, and, and they they did get it. And Xavier Johnson's story, of course, is awesome. A guy who's gone out there and just done everything for the team possible, and you know finally been able to get some playing time and to make an impact. Um, I think he's going to be like among those three. I think he's going to be one of the most vocal and uh, you know one of the bigger driving forces on the team. So I'm excited to see that. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I think less is more in uh, a lot of cases. Although I will say this, uh, you know, Cade Stover being anointed to this status somewhat makes me think he's uh, becoming the the offensive tough Borland of sorts uh, in terms of <laughs> yeah, the the guy enough. that the team loves like beyond any like reasonable measure, in spite of the impact that it has on the overall unit. Uh, I know right. that there's plenty of voices at 11 Warriors that feel a certain type of way about Mr. Stover, as we've alluded to on previous shows. But mm-hmm. I, uh, I I think that he could potentially be in a good spot for a bounce-back season. But we say that about every tight end at Ohio State every year. So it's right. it's kind of interesting that they've made a tight end a captain. I would be curious when the last time that happened was um, – but I, as for the other two, Eichenberg, I mean, I'm even surprised that he came back to begin with. The fact that oh, he's yeah. here, uh, he absolutely is the leader of that unit on the defense. And as you said, Xavier Johnson, that story, how can how can you not uh, look up to that as a player? So very, two very obvious choices there. And then, yes, I can understand if the team – is 
gravitating towards a figure like Stover in such a fashion that you want to recognize that guy internally and there's not really a, a fitting fourth option relative to the other three. I think that's a good way of acknowledging the dynamic on the team uh, for not just those three guys putting them at that status, but then also communicating to everyone else. The, this is really effectively what exemplary leadership looks right. like, and this is who you need to follow right. as your role model for that within your own unit. So I well, I commend them for how they've handled this, uh, even though right. I'm poking fun at Stover, as I'm sure many other at 11 Warriors are. Well, and the thing is, though, like a guy like Xavier Johnson, I really love that kind of story. And I know that it's probably inspirational to a lot of the other people on the team. But the fact that they gave him, you know, the block O jersey, right? So he's going to wear zero for the year. Uh, that's you know, he's my X factor for the offense this year. He he should X man X factor. Uh, what is only extreme X force? Um, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> so the block O jersey that was that was uh, made in memory of Bill Willis. Um, he had the number ninety nine, which is now retired. Uh, college and Pro Football Hall of Famer. Uh, he was he was awesome. He actually um, helped break the professional football color barrier in uh, 1946 with the Browns. So Bill, well, I mean, if, if you're going to kind of put your name and and other people are going to to say that your name deserves to be mentioned in that same breath as a guy like that, that's that's a pretty big, um, I think, uh, indication that Xavier Johnson's really well respected. That what he's done is meaningful to the team. And obviously it's meaningful to us. Cause I think that's really cool what he's done. And the thing is, you know, we're talking about, I'm like, wow, way to go, man. Like, you know, happy trail. See, but he's got a whole other season to like kick ass. I mean, that's the thing. He looked really good at times during last season. Now, again, did he get a lot of chances? No, but did he also have an amazing uh, touchdown in, you know, again, the game against Georgia? Absolutely. He looked awesome. So he had I an think, even better given, one against Indiana. I think he's due for right. an encore performance in the opener. Yeah, I think so too. So I think that this guy is going to come out and, and have a really good entertaining season and definitely deserves to be one of the captains. So him, Eichenberg, Stover are uh, coming out at you at the as the uh, 2023 Ohio State football team captains. A couple things about Ryan Day. Ryan Day has said, um, first of all, that the quarterback situation is still unsettled, uh, which is interesting to me um, because uh, that, at one point, make us look good after what we said last week. No, I know, and and you know what? And he had said um, he had said that he, um, you know, had wanted to wrap this thing up, uh, you know, within a week. I think that was like two weeks ago. So that didn't happen. It's all a psyop, Johnny. This is what I was saying. They're just trying to send signals of misdirection. They know it's going to be McCord. They, they, you can't put an Ohio State quarterback with the number thirty-three behind center in the year twenty twenty-three. <laughs> what the hell's going on in Columbus, people? Uh, it's uh, come on. No, it is. It no, is I, real McCord hours on campus. We all know this. And Ryan Day I, is just sending out signals of misdirection to confuse the opposition. That's right. We got to you got to keep Indiana on their toes because I'm doubling down on my bad take. <laughs> no, I, and honestly, I still think that it is going to be um, McCord just in the end because, again, my personal perspective on it is that college football coaches love consistency. That's their whole thing. If they can get a consistent starter, 
whether or not they're excellent isn't the biggest thing to them. What is the biggest thing to them is that they know how many yards, how many, you know, like completions they're going to get in a game. Um, so I think McCord's going to be the dude, but I wouldn't be shocked if it were Devin Brown. I mean, it, it could be, it could absolutely be. Um, but here's what I think is going to happen. I think that it's going to come down to the day before the Indiana game. And Ryan Day is going to be very, very conflicted. He's not going to know which way to go. And he's going to get Kyle McCord and Devin Brown in a room together. And he's going to just sit them both down. And he's just going to say, all right, who's going to throw to Marvin Harrison Jr. the most? <laughs> Who, who's willing to do this? 30 to 40 times. I'll throw to him 50 times a game, <laughs> says Devin Brown. Suit I mean, up, kid. But that's but that's that's a great point because you're right. Like, they don't have to be Superman. These guys just have to come out and get it reliably. And throw the ball to Marvin Harrison's side. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's really where it co- comes down to. And that's... That's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I gave Michigan a lot of crap last year for deciding to like platoon their two, you know, presumptive starters possibly before, you know, they really settled on a guy two or three games into the season. It didn't matter because they beat the crap out of the teams that they started the season with. They figured out who they wanted and it, they, you know, they won the Big Ten. They beat Ohio State. So it doesn't really matter if, if Ohio State comes out and does something similar and they say, we don't know who it's going to be. We're going to just have one guy start Indiana, another guy start Youngstown. That seems stupid. I still don't like the concept. But in the end, I don't think it's going to hurt whatever you know prospects they're going to have for the end of the season. So I want them to pick the right guy. If it takes a little bit longer, I don't think that's the worst thing in the world. Um, and ultimately, like they're going to crush Indiana regardless. They're going to beat the crap out of Youngstown State. I'm not worried about those games. And if they need those games you know, to really nail down who they want, then so be it. It's not something that's going to keep me up at night, I guess is my point. Um, I'll say the same thing I said at the start of the summer, which is that as long as they have someone installed by before the Notre Dame game, right. whatever, it's fine. Exactly. And I think and I think that's a perfectly reasonable take. Speaking of offense, and particularly offensive play calling, uh, uh, Ryan Day said that he will continue to be uh, doing the majority of the play calling. No, no, which I I'm find not as okay with. <laughs> well, I'm mostly okay with it, although I will say I think the criticism of him, you know, puckering in, in games against Michigan and, and some other height, that's fair. You can criticize him for that. Uh, I just think it's funny that, you know, we had basically spent – the entirety of the offseason almost, all the way up until this moment, saying, oh, yeah, Ryan Hartline's basically going to be the dude calling most of these plays. And then Ryan Day just kind of casually throws out, nah, don't know where you got that from, but uh, it's still me, baby. So I don't, you know, if Ohio State's still scoring 45 points a game, but they figure out a way to get over the hump against a very good Michigan team this year, and I got to tell people, they're very freaking good. Um, they're they they're ranked above Ohio State for a reason, um, but if you can get above, you know, past them in Ann Arbor, you know, I give the guys due. And I I feel like maybe that's what he's saying to himself too, which is I'm better than this. I'm better than freaking Jim Harbaugh. I can figure out a way to make this work. And maybe that's why 
he's still going to be on those uh, offensive play calling duties. Yeah, it does kind of feel like a pride thing because Michigan is the one that exposed this problem because it wasn't a problem before then. This was, as you said, this was a guy that would routinely put 40 points on your head and tell you to match it, which is not a recipe for failure in college football. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you play a team like Michigan who says, we're going to hold you to 28 instead of 40, and then if you – screw up or you're playing at this breakneck pace or you commit too many turnovers or you have too many three and outs in the middle of a blizzard you might just lose now what doesn't help that is when ryan day almost exclusively calls run plays out of under center formations and (laughs) pistol alignments and then exclusively throws out of the shotgun That was something that Michigan picked up on very quickly the first time they won. I don't know how much of a problem that was last year as well, but it is something that coaches, particularly the Michigan defensive staff, have cued in on is that the the blending of the play calling and the formations when Day is at the controls is not where it needs to be in some of these high-level games particularly against stout defensive fronts like what Michigan offers. So if Day has decided to challenge himself uh, with rising to the occasion and proving he can get over the hump, I'd say he's kind of earned the right to do that. I'm just cautiously concerned given what i have seen and the fact that if he loses this year that's three in a row in the hole and you don't necessarily know if you're going to get another one on harbaugh after this because he may just bolt to the nfl again after this season especially if michigan's (laughs) staring down a uh an investigation going into the the off season which you know and we're going to talk about that in a little bit um Yeah. yeah that's a good point and i and maybe that is it. Maybe it is a pride, and I, it's never struck me. Ryan Day's never really struck me as a guy to make decisions based on that kind of thing. There's but, a big know, ego like, under that beard, Johnny. I'm telling you. <laughs> but you never know, man. I mean, for real though, like it's it. I can understand you know wanting to prove something in that capacity. It, it totally makes sense. Now, whether that's the best thing for Ohio State, we're going to find out. Um, but you know, again, as we alluded to, you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. You've got a Mecca Booga. You've got weapons you can score points it's just figuring out a way to score points when you're playing against elite defenses who might have an entire season of tape on you to draw from like how do you get creative how do you do something different how do you do something interesting with the weapons that you have and unfortunately we're gonna have to wait a while before we can really uh, see what that looks like um, you know, in late November. So that should but, be interesting. But to that point, I mean, maybe he doesn't feel comfortable empowering Hartline this much. I mean, Hartline was kind of content with the role he was in, I think, even though he's talked about having aspirations of going to the NFL eventually. Yeah. Uh, he didn't necessarily need to become offensive coordinator. They just had a they, – they filled that need, and they needed someone that was going to be a play caller too – um, you know, to kind of lighten the load for day, maybe right. they just realized that they didn't want to empower um, Heartline with too much too soon. That because that is a lot of responsibility to thrust on someone who, prior to that, had only effectively been a receivers coach and mm-hmm. was a very good recruiter. 
but you know they've obviously wanted him to do that beyond the wide receiver niche now and through the entire offense if you're in thrusting that kind of recruiting responsibility and demand for success at the level that he had at that position now across the entire offense having that guy also do an entire season of games worth of prep and play calling scripts leading up to what this dramatic showdown with Michigan is going to need to be in a, in theory, it's probably easier for a guy like day to rise to the challenge he would have in overcoming that than what Heartline would have to have with all these other new responsibilities that have been entrusted to him. So I, I do actually, in, in terms of like talking it out further, I think it is the right course of action. Um, I'll be disappointed if, uh, for day, if he goes 0-3 against Michigan and then Harbaugh leaves because he's not going to have a chance to get his revenge and that'll probably drive him nuts. Because uh, oh, we know yeah. we know They'll Jim not down. getting revenge on his brother in the Super Bowl has already driven him crazy. So. Well, yeah, it's it's led to two off seasons worth of him, you know, trying to get an NFL job. Um, so we'll get into a little bit more with Harbaugh in a second, and actually a little bit more about the Day family, believe it or not. But before we do that, uh, we remind you that the uh, Dubcast is sponsored by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com, drygoods.11warriors.com, shirts, hats, stickers, all kinds of great stuff. Check it out. And by the way, we're, season's coming up. We're going to have some interesting things out there. I recommend maybe taking a peek. Um, all right. So I've been teasing this for like two, three weeks now at this point. Dan asked a question. Oh, yeah. I said I didn't know the answer. I forgot to get the answer. And then I did get the answer. And so now I'm giving you all the answer. And I'm actually going to give you the question. So here's the thing. Dan wanted to know all the way back on July 31st. Uh what happened to the coach's weekly champion and player of the game award slash designation? So after every win, Coach Day would release a list of Buckeyes who were uh, awarded slash designated as having performed at a champion level uh, for the game or even player of the game. Um, but he's looking back. This goes back several years, obviously. And what he's seen, all right, there's been no list. Uh, there was no list following Saturday's loss, Saturday meeting in, uh, you know, back last year uh in ann arbor uh or the year before last rather however there was no list for the rose bowl win versus utah either and no list for any 22 regular or postseason games so what happened to it no longer being released by the coach uh done away with completely am i not looking in the right places etc so here's the deal and i asked dan about this now first of all we do uh talk about champions um uh and players of the game things like that however Players of the game were announced last year. So they did do that on social media. If you look on social media, on, you know, like Ohio State football and whatnot, like uh, Twitter and Instagram, they do announce the players of the game, uh, special teams, defense, offense. However, the champions are apparently still selected for every win, somebody graded out as a champion. Uh, But Ohio State stopped announcing them publicly. So it's still done internally. It's still part of team evaluations and what they talk about but it's not something that they put out there for public consumption. And so that is a really interesting observation that Dan had, that he noticed that. Um, Dan, if you are interested, you can go back. Like I said, you can check out those um, players of the game, uh, each game from last year. But, um, yeah, champions, people who graded out as champions is, is something that they keep internal. So I find that pretty interesting. So thank you for asking that. I'm sorry it took me like Excellent a year. Excellent question. 
Excellent. Glad question. we got it answered inside of a month. <laughs> that's that's right. You know what? I'm nothing if not consistent. Um, As you said, we are Dan respecters on the Dubcast. Oh, so. always. I mean, you know, come on. Any Dan, I'm all about it. Um, so, all right. So here we go. So this is this is from Joshua F. What new West Coast member of the Big 18 would you want to become a regular rival with Ohio State? So the new is guys that, that we have we're calling it now, the Big 18? The Big 18, that's who they are. Um, well, for my personal sake, as I alluded to on the show previously, I, I missed the Notre Dame game last year because I was watching two USC fans get married, and one of them was my cousin. So USC and Ohio State – putting together a competitive rivalry for my own internal family's dynamic would be kind of funny, especially because I, I literally grew up in a house divided with a Ohio state father and Michigan uh, post-grad mother. So I was uh, right. So I've, I've grown up in the fires of conflict and it's why I've ascended to the, the <laughs> status I met today. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm an Ohio state fan. But I think uh, for history's sake, Oregon would probably be more fun because not only do they have the national championship, but also Oregon beat them very recently. So it's right. a historic, like in terms of recent history, very competitive dynamic between those schools. And it's OU versus OSU. I mean, you can call it the O Bowl or something. Or the, I think- the O Face Bowl, if you've seen oh, Office Space. Oh, God. Um they probably won't call it that, but I actually do agree with you that Oregon <laughs> would be the better one because first of all, I don't care about UCLA. Um, Mick Cronin aside, my bro, uh, UC, USC. I understand the history there again, not, not something that really like what's my whistle. I mean, I, you know, when they got crunched at home and a lot of people say, Oh, well they were right into Nah, They looked like garbage the entire game. Uh, when they got they crunched at play home for the jeweled Shalala buck. That's so good. <laughs> Just put a little turtle head on the end of the, the stick. <laughs> that's that's morbid. I don't like that. Um, yeah, USC I don't care about Washington. Great, great views uh, out there at their uh, stadium. And I do remember Beanie Wells and company rolling in there and beating the crap out of them in the early 2000s. But, um, yeah, I agree. Oregon, I think, just has more juice, more interesting fan base super you know devoted and you know like loud gets into it i think that would be a good um a good foil for ohio state on the west coast so i i like that um also second question from josh this is kind of just an ancillary thing you know <laughs> that kind of goes along with what we were talking about how do we rebrand this conference what what do we call the big 10 now we've talked about this do we just keep the name like what do we do here telling you man great lakes of great plains great lakes and great plains that i've been i've been pushing now? it since 2014 yeah, Ohio it State is the coast, the, coast co- coast. Hey, the coast to coast conference i like that that's what i think that's actually what i've i've coast, told you're gonna other say coast to coast conference yeah that's i think coast to coast conference would be sick c2c baby let's go and literally yeah, like i don't know about C2C. that but coast to coast let's no you say c to c and then you do literally the letter c and the number two and then the c i think that would be sick oh, i think it'd be okay. great okay johnny i think it'd be good uh next question is from good friend. or whoever else <laughs> get him on the horn <laughs> tell him to change it right now um not delane delane's retired uh good friend alvin wants to know will zeke eat in boston uh is it a better spot for him than talus oh i'm already calling him lezekiel blunt 
Are you kidding? He's going to lead the league. He's going to lead the league. Garrett Blunt was not even supposed to be the starter for the Patriots that season, and he led the league in touchdown rushing. I think he's going to – first of all, I agree with you, and I think he's going to be – He's going to be one of the league leaders in touchdowns. He's Not getting at least good. 10. At least 10. Yeah, yeah. That's I mean, he got last year. They're going to get down. Anytime they get down within the 10-yard line, they're going to they're going to run them three times, and then they're going to score. And that's, I think, I don't know if that's a huge, you know, great recipe for, like, a lot of wins, but it's a great recipe for Zeke Elliott to be a really good fantasy football player. Um, so I think I'm with you. I don't know that he's going to have, like, this great, ba- you know, all-pro bounce-back season, but he's going to score a lot of points. So for him, I think it'll be great, and and he'll definitely, you know, shoot. If he's productive, they'll give him another contract, and it'll be great. Um, by the way, this is from Kevin. This is prior to our uh, the announcement here. Uh, here's my short list for AD. What do you think? Uh, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg, LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Patrick Ewing, James Laurinaitis, or Ryan Day? <laughs> Where's Maurice Claret? Yeah, yeah. Hey, and by the way, Maurice was saying that he should at least be, you know, talked to, at least be interviewed, which I agree. I, I'd give As him someone, a meeting. I've had, by the way, I've had dinner with Maurice Claret. Claret and Whoa, say, this I'll, guy, I'll, Johnny Dubs, name dropping not, dinner guests on the Dubcast. He's like a three-time Dubcast guest. I We are, like, <laughs> clearly best friends. My point is that Maurice is a very intelligent guy. Reese, he's he's a smart dude. I think he'd be just as good as Elon Musk or Mark Zuckerberg, uh, or my LeBron James. I think, he, I think he and Big Red Ted would have great chemistry. I think it'd be great. I think it'd be awesome. Um, but yes, uh, the 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 eventual president Kevin, of course, was uh, was not uh, any of the the names on your list. Unfortunately, I'm sorry. That's, that's well, no, he was asking AD, right? Oh, wait, no, you know what? You're right. He was saying 80. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's why I, I said Claret. Well, Claret then is still in the running and should right. definitely be considered. So, yeah, so that's perfect. Um, Patrick, I don't know why he threw in Patrick Ewing. I think that's really funny because not a good coach, uh, has nothing to do with Ohio State. Um, so I think that's pretty funny. He has one of the greatest um, coaching moments ever. I do think, you know what? You LeBron, don't practice LeBron, that shot. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, and finally, I just want everybody to know, uh, you know, I'm sorry again, Dan, for taking a month to answer your question, but your bro, Josh out here, last thing on the dubcast, or at least for ask us anything, he's, he's got your back, man. He reminded me, he sent out a, an email to make sure that this question got answered. So dubcast listeners have each other's backs. Yeah, People need to know that. That's big time. That is big time. That's I've friendship. never night. seen that on another podcast. A That's listener right. looking out for another listener like looking that. Looking out for each other. I love to hear it. I love to see it. It's great. So that, thank you. That both is rare camaraderie. Deal. I'm proud That's of right. our listeners for that. I am too. Big props. Too. I think that's great. So that is Ask Us Anything. Keep sending in those questions. We'll keep answering them. Let's do a few things here. We got some more football stuff to get into, actually. Um, I want to I wanna do this real quick. So we... We've got a few more stories. We've got some stuff with uh, Ryan Day's son. We've got a cool recruit come in. We've got some Jim Harbaugh stuff. I just briefly want to talk about this because I want to maybe we can get a little bit more into our thinking. We were doing the season preview on the site, and part of that was we wanted to uh, do our college football playoff picks and our Heisman Trophy predictions. My predictions on 
these things have been notoriously just god awful. Like I, I don't think I've come even close. Maybe in any of the like the you know ten or so years I've done it. Um, this year, I still don't think I have a prayer of getting anything close. I've got Georgia over LSU in the national championship. Michigan's going to be in the playoff, I think, over Ohio State. I think this is ultimately a rebuilding year for Ohio State. Again, a good year for Ohio State. I still think there's a couple losses there, including at Michigan. Um, and then, unfortunately, I think Caleb Williams is going to repeat and, and join Archie as the only two-time Heisman winners. But I want to ask you first, George, right? You, you've got, um, you know, Ohio State, USC, Florida State in the college football playoff. You've got Ohio State over Georgia in the national championship, and you've got Marvin Harrison Jr. as your Heisman, which fine choices all around. What's what's some of your thinking behind that? Uh, I, I I've been very I, I've been on the Marvin Harrison Jr. Heisman campaign for the last like month and a half. Sure, um, yeah, as you should be. I mean, he's I think he's legitimately. I mean, regardless who wins the Heisman, he's the best player. How often do you have like going into the season where it's just kind of universally accepted who the best player in the sport is? Not often, really. Standpoint? Yeah. Right. Yeah, not often. So it if that guy's health holds up, who's going to compete with that guy? I think it's just to me it's Do we remember my, what that guy did to Georgia last year before they right. unceremoniously removed him from the game? Right. And I and it's not Here's what I'll say about that. The only reason why I'm skeptical about him winning the Heisman is not because of his talent, you know, you know, the fact that people will even recognize it. I think that there are just too many Heisman voters who vote almost entirely based on the last game that the top flight players play. You know what I'm saying? So in other words, if Ohio State comes out and they don't look great against Michigan, they lose to Michigan, whatever, even if Marvin Harrison Jr. has like a good game, let's say he gets 100 yards, scores a couple of that. The fact that he didn't win that game single-handedly will be seen as a mark against him. And if by that same token, you've got a guy coming out who's a quarterback for USC and throws his team into the playoff, then that's going to be seen as a, you know, like, well, that trumps everything else that happened before that. So I think for a a non-quarterback or running back, there's an uphill battle for some of these guys who you either have to come out and do something mind-bendingly insane, like, you know, 2,000 receiving yards or something crazy, um, or you have to basically, like, single-handedly win the last game of the season uh, to really get over that hump because it, this this trophy is so skewed toward one particular position on the field. And so, again, I think he'll deserve it by the end of the season. I just don't think he'll get it. And that's that's just me being pessimistic, but I would love for that not to be true. I'd love for him to get that because I think I, he'll deserve it. I think in the early stages of this season, as they try to make whoever, whichever quarterback they decide to go with comfortable – they're mm-hmm. going to need to lean on him for production in a way that kind of inflates his status. And that's, um, a, yeah, that, that's that sets him point. up good for a run. Right. I think he's probably going to get into the middle of the season. And as there's tape, there's going to be more scheming, double teaming that's inevitably going to be coming. He's still going to be able to hit most of the numbers, but probably not perform as loftily as he did against the lower tier competition earlier in the right. season when there wasn't as much film. And I think that they'll do a better job 
of scheming him open down the stretch, uh, putting him in a position to be successful. And at that point, that combined with the level of talent that he has relative to the competition at this level of the sport, it's going to be very apparent very quickly uh, just how much cut above a different or cut from a different cloth he is relative to the rest of the people that he's playing right. with. Uh, and, you know, if USC fumbles for any reason, I think, uh, it, it's it's hard for the it, – the, the, the Pac-12 is disintegrating for a reason, man. <laughs> and, and Caleb Williams won the Heisman Trophy last year, but hardly anybody saw it. I yeah. mean – it's it's going to be hard for him to do that again, uh, and, and and to the point, same thing with Marv about having the film available. It's going to be the same thing with not only uh, Caleb Williams, but Lincoln Riley's entire system there at USC now has that entire season of of tape on it. So. I think that that's going to make it easier for their opponents to game plan and mitigate what they do as well in a way that at least slows down the success that they had exclusively with Caleb Williams last year. So I I feel very good about my pick for Mar for Heisman. I think that in terms of Ohio State long-term expectations, it's going to come down to how comfortable do they make whoever their quarterback choice is. Um gradually as the season goes on and do they get that installed prior to the Notre Dame game in terms of knowing who their per, their guy is going to be so i i think that they're going to do it because Ryan Day's done it every season that he's been coach he's worked miraculous things with the quarterback that he's ultimately decided to roll with he's earned the benefit of the doubt in that area I know we've been critical, or I've been critical at least, of the play-calling patterns this uh, show. But quarterback development is something that no, that guy cannot, uh, nobody, an- nobody can answer, or uh, that guy answers to no one is what yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, nobody questions the the coach guys up. And the thing is, is like, you know, my take on it, the reason why I've got the teams in the college football playoff that I've got is is largely because I think Ohio State is going to take a little bit. I think they're going to stumble a little bit. I, I think they're going to lose a game that they shouldn't. Um, they might beat Michigan. They might not. But between Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, I think they lose one um, and then maybe lose one that just, you know, is a dumb loss. So, you know, 10-2 and two isn't the worst thing in the world. I'm not going to be crying about it. But I do think that it's – this will be an interesting year for Ohio State in a lot of ways. And seeing how Ryan Day and company adjust to that, especially as the season goes on, will say a lot about what happens next season as well, because it really does depend on on who they decide to, to roll with. And, you know, I agree with you. I, I do think his quarterback development is unbelievable. But right now, Michigan just looks like the much more complete team in the Big Ten. And I just I have a hard time as of, you know, late or late August, seeing them roll into Ann Arbor and, and come out with the win. So we'll see how that goes. Hopefully uh, I'm an idiot and wrong, and I get to revisit this later and talk about how wrong I was. I would love that. It's going to be a little bit easier for Ohio State to, in the future, kick some Wolverine ass because – a, a maligned, not not in the sense that it, like people don't have confidence in his abilities, but maybe people are questioning some of his recruiting abilities. 
Uh, Larry Johnson landed a five star um, in the uh, in the uh, you know in the 2024 cycle. Did not have a five star defensive lineman in the 2023 class, and now Edric Houston is out here. Uh, one of the greatest, one of the top ranked um, recruits, at least in terms of like the recruiting ranking services that Ohio State's ever had. So that's that's pretty good news for OLJ here. Uh, I like to see it. I like to see that guy coming in and, and maybe shaking up uh, a little bit of that narrative. That's fun. Also fun is that Ryan Day's son, uh, a quarterback at St. Francis de Sales up here in Columbus, uh, got his first D1 offer from Boston College. You might remember a guy uh, named Jeff Halfley, uh, still the BC head coach, although honestly maybe not for – Super long if he continues to replicate oh, the performance. Come on, we, we believe in our guys, Johnny. He's he's going to turn it around. Halfley is an awesome dude, and one of the best interviews, one of the best coaching interviews that we have had, that we've seen, and the entire coaching staff since I think Eleven Warriors got off the ground. Uh, just an incredibly intelligent, personable dude. You you are. I'm so rooting for him. And RJ Day going out there to Boston would be really sick. I think that would be really cool. So we'll see how that guy kind of develops, uh, especially in, in his recruiting class. He's still got a ways to go. He's he's um, he's in the 2027 class. So we've got a few years, okay. But I'm not surprised that uh, Jeff Halfley um, decided to you know maybe extend a an offer to Ryan Day's son. So that's pretty cool. I like seeing that. Yeah, twenty twenty seven is pretty far ahead. I think it's what, pretty far ahead. What's Braxton um, Miller Jr.? I know that's the other one we're looking forward to. <laughs> that's right. Twenty twenty forty five. No, twenty thirty eight. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Um, all right. Last thing we got to talk about. We we didn't get to this uh, last week, but I do want to talk about it because, and it's actually good maybe that we didn't because there have been some new developments. So Jim Harbaugh was suspended by the NCAA for four games, and then they're like, "No, we're not going to do it." And then Michigan has self-imposed a suspension of Jim Harbaugh effective immediately for three games. This is very interesting to me because, first of all, as, as we all know, it's not about the cheeseburgers, right? It, according to the NCAA, they're, they're very it's not, about, it's not about the burgers. It's not about the burgers. It's about lying. It's about whatever improprieties that I guess Harbaugh is accused or, or thought to have been done. You know, I don't know what those are. I'm sure that'll come out in due time. Here's what I find interesting. First of all, Michigan trying to get ahead of things suggests to me that there is something here that they're worried about, right? Because a cover up of sorts. Well, if this is a team that is not winning championships and not going to college football playoffs, I think they just don't give a I think they're, yeah, it's fine. You know, they haven't won a college football playoff game yet. But they want to, and they think they can. They think they've got the team to do it. So what I think is no going on No matter how right many now, burgers it takes. <laughs> That's right. We'll buy an entire Burger King franchise. I don't give a crap. White Castle. Um, my point is, though, is that I think Michigan is trying to get ahead of something to hopefully hold on to um, you know, what they believe is their window of opportunity. And, you know, I don't know that suspending whatever if the NCAA is truly looking at Jim Harbaugh and Michigan at large for something that they view as more than, you know, the burgers, then I don't know that a three game suspension against the worst teams in college football are really going to do it. I, you know, like I, I was going on MGO blog just to see how they kind of reacted to it. And the, the, the quote that they used, they said, 
the internal logic seems to be that this is a move intended to take away leverage from the NCAA, limiting their ability to suspend Harbaugh as a result of the investigation. Well, how would that limit anything? The, NC- the NCAA is not beholden to anyone or anything. If they still want to suspend Harbaugh or penalize Michigan, Michigan self-imposing a penalty does nothing. It might make it like the justification more difficult, but the NCAA doesn't care about any of that. So as long as Michigan plans on going along with whatever you know punishment the NCAA decides to mete out, that does nothing. That does nothing for the NCAA. They don't care. If they want to be jerks about it, if they think, if they think that there's something that Michigan did that is worthy of Harbaugh being suspended or a postseason ban or something like that, they're going to do it whether or not Harbaugh's been suspended for three games or not. Um, so I don't, I don't know what the NCAA is looking at. I think it's really interesting that the story hasn't died yet. Uh, and I think it's also particularly interesting that Harbaugh was suspended and then he wasn't suspended and now he is suspended. So we'll see how that goes. No. By the way, they'll be fine. They're playing, again, like the worst teams in college football to start the season. Well, and the other interesting side of it is how the Michigan media have been framing what has been going on, which is that, oh, sure. as we've said, a nothing burger. Um, right. Going as far as to say that the NCAA actually looks uh, to be the more embarrassing party for how they've handled this than yes. the party accused of wrongdoing here, which is Michigan and Jim Harbaugh. Um, it seems like almost a little bit of cognitive dissonance out of Ann Arbor, if I'm being honest. Oh, it's, it's complete cognitive dissonance. Everybody else is the worst dingy, dirty, dingy Daryls who ever yeah. lived. You know, like they're squeaky clean. They only have internet. They only have online classes in Columbus. We, we, we don't yeah. do any of that up here. That's right. Arbor. We would never do that. Right. Not, not our so, fine you know, student athletes in Ann Arbor. Right. So they, it, they they seem to be uh, framing this as, oh, you know, we didn't really do anything. It's not going to be a big deal. But the pattern of resurfacing here, as you've said, with the story not dying, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. There's yeah. going to be some sort of weird thing that comes out of this. Uh, they've already been caught with weird things before. I don't know how many athletic departments have had to recently fire assistants for uh, computer crimes, but that's <laughs> right. something that Michigan had to do computer very, crimes. very recently. And that's not, and computer crimes doesn't even include all the, the horny on EDU stuff that was going on with the administration over there right. one or two years ago. Right. Uh, so it, this, this whole thing it, it like there's been bad behavior that's been going on up there for a few different years in various different sectors. And now the NCAA is looking at this and they're saying, we need to come poke around and see what's going on here. Right. What I think is going to be very potentially funny is if with this recently expanded playoff if we're almost certainly looking at a postseason appearance for michigan with a national championship on the line and it's already very transparent that the school is staring down a 2024 offseason investigation and the rumor mill's already swirling uh that jim harbaugh wants to go to the nfl and just for amusement's sake, let's say Mike McCarthy is already on his way out of the Dallas Cowboys. Right. What do you think is that is going to look like and how funny would it be, particularly if Ohio State has already beaten them or could potentially beat them in the college oh football playoff? Yeah, and that's 
Yes, and the confluence of those things. I mean, that's that's why I so badly want Ohio State to beat Michigan this year. I, I want them to beat them every year, obviously. But to go to Ann Arbor admits all the crap that they're going to have to deal with in the offseason because Harbaugh is not done flirting with the NCAA or excuse me, the NFL. That's not done. That's like you mentioned. That's he'll find some that's spot. Where his heart is. Dallas. Pardon? It's where his heart is. It is. Well, and he wants to beat his brother. He wants to show that he can, you know, accomplish what Ryan A wants to accomplish against him. And that's fine. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But that Michigan as an institution has basically told themselves that, no, you know, we're just we're fine. We're doing great because they've been successful on the football field is the kind of hubris that they usually, you know, like those are accusations that they level against the likes of Ohio State. Right. Like winning supersedes everything. We don't have to care about anything else because we're winning and our values don't matter. And what we do off the field doesn't matter because we're Ohio State. We don't care about that. It's the same thing that they're doing. And it's it's just funny to me that, um, you know, all of these chickens could come home to roost in the offseason for them. And if Ohio State can send them packing with a really devastating loss that leads into that, that would be a very delicious offseason for me. I would I would eat quite well. Uh, from the months of you know January through you know March, so um, you know I, I don't know how this is all going to shake out. You know Jim Harbaugh again suspended, self-imposed suspension for the first three games. I don't think the NCAA cares about that at all. I don't think that impacts their decision making, and it certainly doesn't. The 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 quote again from Ingo Blog, the the word leverage. I don't understand how that works is supposed to work at all. <laughs> That, that doesn't there's no there's no fulcrum here right there's no there's no mechanism there's no there's no limiting their ability to suspend Harbaugh who's limiting their ability they don't care um so anyway they'll be interesting to see how Michigan handles that they'll be fine the first three games but uh, this is a story that we'll definitely continue to talk about and make fun of and joke about. J.J. McCarthy may not get the uh, acclaimed September Heisman now that Denard Robinson nice. is famous for winning for. Which is really sad because, you know, that really should be a separate mission. It means a lot to them up there. It does. It really does. It really does. It truly does. I mean, all the, you know, all the T-shirt makers in Ann Arbor, they, they got to have somebody to, you know, to make money off of. So, so that's the Dubcast for this week. We are getting very close to game time next week, right? Next week is going to be game weeks. So we're going to be wow. breaking down a little bit of Indiana. I know it doesn't feel like it, but we're going to talk about Indiana we're going to talk a little bit more about the team in general, do some preview stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. So please be there. Check it out. I'll be there. George will be there. George's family will be there, who I'm best friends with now. Um, so I recommend everybody check it out. Uh, and until then, I'm Johnny. I'm George. And we'll see you.